All work and no play makes Eddie a dull bitch. Welcome back to 101, everybody. I can't can't believe we're on, what is this, episode 36, I think? I don't normally say what episode it is, just in case I decide to rearrange the episodes, but I think this, this particular one is episode 36 um, of 101. I think it's like 89 or something of you know, the 101 um, brand, I guess you could say, including Terminator 101, because I have all the the previous 50 episodes of uh, Terminator 101 still available to listen to. So it's crazy to me. It's crazy. Um, either way, I am very excited to do this. Uh, just a couple quick announcements, and then we'll get right into it. The first is I am really contemplating doing some live streams on my YouTube channel. Um, because I haven't been active on it. I sort of have a on and off relationship with my YouTube channel. It's weird. Um, I'll go through like a, like a kick, like a YouTube kick and then I'll like never touch it for months and then I'll go back to it and then I'll leave it alone. And it's very on and off, very unhealthy. I should probably see a therapist, but I am thinking of going back to it and strictly doing live streams because I'm really not about the editing stuff. You know, the editing is sort of where I lose interest. So if I can do a live stream and get all of you guys that listen to the podcast in that live stream, I think it would be really cool. I think it would be a nice little addition. Plus, it would just, you know, really help to get the podcast out there. It's awesome. I, you know, I haven't been active on that page, but somehow I've crossed like 500 subscribers. So really cool. We're almost, almost to a thousand guys, almost to a thousand. So I'm really thinking about doing that. Um, but of course to know when I'm going to be doing all this stuff, um, follow me on social media on the big three, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Eddie greens, one Oh one, all the information's down below in the show notes or in the show description. Um, but uh, yeah, go follow me over there so you can stay up to date and know when I'm going to be doing these live streams. Plus, this is a great way to, for every episode, I usually take a photo. If it's in studio, I usually take a photo with the guest. Um, and if it's not in studio, if it's a remote sort of conver- um, yeah, conversation, um, they're really not interviews. They're definitely more so conversations. If it's a remote conversation, I have the guest take a selfie or send me a you know a professional photo of themselves, whatever, something that they sign off on, and I kind of collage it together. That way, since my podcast isn't filmed just yet, you get a sense and you get an idea of who the person is or who the persons are talking. So very helpful tool there if you want to put a a face to the voices that you hear on these podcast episodes. Eddie Green's 101 on social media, that's where you need to go. Now, all the other stuff that I usually talk about, the the ways to support, all that stuff, Patreon, T Public, all that is down in the show notes if you want to support the podcast. I genuinely 100% appreciate it. Um it just means so much to me because I love doing this show and I want to make sure that I deliver the best possible show for you guys and yeah, it just means a lot if you want to support me. If you don't want to support me, that's fine. Just the fact that you're listening is awesome. And a great way to support me is to make it through the ad that is coming up in five, four, three, two, one. 
Now, if you listen to that, you supported me. You, you, you directly supported Eddie Green's 101. And if you didn't listen to it, if you skipped it, just go back, listen to it, and know in your heart you supported a podcaster. It just means a lot to me. Let's move on to who is on 101 today. It's not just one person. No, 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 no. It is not just one person. It's two awesome people. I am talking to two of the main people involved in Kubrick's universe, the Stanley Kubrick podcast. As many of you know, if you have been following me for quite some time, um, I love film. Film is really something that I'm passionate about. It's essentially what kickstarted my podcasting career. Um, and so it's always going to play a, a part in my you know overall journey forward with podcasts. Um, so anytime I can get people that have a film podcast or whatever, you know, dedicated to maybe a certain filmmaker or a certain topic that I love, I'm going to try to get them on. And these guys host, I think, the greatest Stanley Kubrick podcast. There's a few Stanley Kubrick podcasts out there, but I think Kubrick's universe is hands down the best one because of just the sheer dedication, the sheer passion. You can hear it in every episode, how meticulously edited it is. Edited it is. Um, professional, just 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 everything. And they've and they've had so many incredible guests on that have worked with Stanley Kubrick. And I just I uh, I adore what they do. So who am I talking about? Well, I am talking about Mark Lentz who uh, Mark is the, let me see here, I have it written down to make sure that I get the credits correct. Uh, Mark is a contributor to the show, and he also runs a chapter of uh, the Stanley Kubrick Appreciation Society. Uh, He runs like a chapter of the group in New York City. And I'm also talking to Stephen Rigg, who is uh, the producer of Kubrick's Universe and the founder of the Stanley Kubrick Appreciation Society on Facebook. So I, of course, will have all that information down below. If you want to go follow uh, that particular group, you can definitely do that. And of course, you can find the podcast on um, pretty much any podcast listening platform. But this is just an incredible, an incredible uh, kind of um, intimate, discussion on the podcast and then of course we touch on Stanley Kubrick and we go a little bit beyond that but of course we always come back to Kubrick it's always really focused on Kubrick um Mark was coming to me from New Jersey if I remember correctly and Stephen was over in the UK so this was a really interesting kind of uh, figuring out of time schedules and whatnot to make sure you know everything works and then of course we touch on the fact that they have to do that for this podcast, you know, insane stuff. So I'm done rambling on guys, sit back, relax, get ready to want to watch a Stanley Kubrick film after this, because it is time to listen to Kubrick's universe, Mark and Steven.
Alrighty, we are back and we are being joined today by two incredible gentlemen who are part of uh, the Stanley Kubrick Appreciation Society and who are very heavily involved in bringing everybody the incredible podcast, Kubrick's Universe. Um, and if you guys don't know about this podcast, all the information's in the show notes, so you can click the links and you'll be taken where you need to be taken to to check out this show if you love Stanley Kubrick. So um mark lentz and steven rigg welcome to the podcast hi thank you thanks I'm very much <laughs> i'm mark <laughs> <laughs> all right yes yeah, so uh so that voice that you were hearing uh the first one was steven yes the english voice there you go and the second voice is mark from new jersey from new jersey <laughs> <laughs> and um i really appreciate you guys coming on here so uh the like the thing that fascinates me the most and really what this podcast I want to kind of focus on is not so much talking about Stanley Kubrick himself. I mean, we can definitely go that direction, but I feel as though if we want to point people in that direction, they need to go to your podcast because it's an entire celebration of the man's legacy. Um, I'm more interested in figuring out how the podcast came to be. Um, so, Starting with whoever wants to start off first, uh, I assume it was the Appreciation Society that came first, correct? Correct, yes. Um, okay. Uh, shall I go, Mark? Yes, please, Stephen. So, yes, so 2011, um, I set up the Stanley Kubrick Appreciation Society on Facebook, the Facebook group. Um, and I think I've... I think I joined. In, I think I joined Facebook in two thousand and seven. So it took me three or four years to realise uh, how to set up a, a group. Uh, so I set that up in twenty eleven. Um, that so that's uh, that had a, a slow start where I was just originally uh, posting things each day, uh, news items, clips, all to do with Kubrick, and, and I think I was just posting them myself really. Uh, when there was, uh, you know, very few members. Uh, and then eventually that took off. And in late 2018, after I'd met quite a few other Kubrick fans and got uh, quite chatty online with them, uh, myself and Jason Furlong, who is the host, whose voice you hear mainly on the podcast, myself and Jason decided to start a podcast because I was quite a big listener of podcasts. Uh, by that point, and I thought, hmm, it's something that we can probably do. So myself and Jason, we kind of got it started uh, late 2018. We were starting doing, sorry, late 2017, we were starting um, thinking about it, and we launched in January 2018. How's that for a start? Per yeah, seriously. So when you were thinking of doing this, was there... There, like there really wasn't a, a dedicated Stanley Kubrick podcast, to your knowledge, right? Uh, to my knowledge, there was a, a kind of um, a semi uh, Kubrick podcast, which was done by Jamie Duval and friends, uh, who've got a great uh, podcast show called Movie Geeks United. That's a general uh, movie show, but they did do some dedicated episodes to um, to the Kubrick movies. Um, so I think that was the only thing I'd heard at that point that had kind of any sort of dedicated direction towards towards Kubrick. I think that was about all, all I'd heard, yeah. 
Okay, okay. Yeah, because it's, you know, to my knowledge, it's it's one of those niche kind of things where you, you'll probably find a, a movie podcast that will, you know, touch on Kubrick, but to find a podcast dedicated solely to, you know, Stanley Kubrick, I think it's hard to find, you know, like if I'm in uh, Apple Podcasts and I type in Stanley Kubrick, usually what'll pop up is Kubrick's universe. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I think that that's a testament to uh, the fact that you are, you know, like you were humble when we were talking prior to uh, the podcast starting, but uh, you were like, you know, we're not getting that much feedback, but um, I feel as though it's, it's going to continuously just grow because more and more people find podcasts entertaining and, 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 and it's such an easy way to digest, Mm. um, you know, your, your information. So you can be at work, you can be, uh, driving on the road, doing a road trip, and you can just, you can have a podcast on and it's the, it's the simplest way to get information. So I feel as though Kubrick's universe, if it hasn't already taken off, like into the stratosphere, I feel as though it's just a moment uh, or a, a matter of time before that, that that really happens. So Mark, where do you come in to this whole um, equation when after uh, Steven and them start the, the Facebook group? Well, I've been a lifelong Kubrick f- fan. And to the extent where I, I'm on meetup.com, which uh, is a website where you can join groups based on your interests. So first I joined a book club, then I took over that book club, and then I saw you could have three meetups if you're the organizer of a meetup. So I thought, well, New York and Stanley Kubrick, I love going into New York. So I made a Stanley Kubrick meetup. And then through that, I met people who were, do stuff about Kubrick, and one of them was doing a year-long festival about 2001, this was like two years ago when it was the 50th anniversary when, of when 2001 okay. was released. So through him, he had contacted the Stanley Kubrick Appreciation Society. Uh, and then he got me to join in on some Skype calls that we used to have just to talk about Kubrick amongst ourselves. And that's how I met Stephen and Jason and uh, uh, James, who is our other contributor. So then I connected up my meetup group with the Appreciation Society. And uh, I was always wanting to do something tangible in regards to Kubrick and that you can have a meetup, but then all that vanishes, everything vanishes, including, you know, a lot of the stuff on on the web about Kubrick is kind of ephemeral and that it's there and then it vanishes then it's hard to find again. And what I love about the podcast is the podcast is forever. And it seems like the more that we do, the bigger the universe gets. Like there's more and more people who want to come on and there's more and more ideas that we can explore uh, regarding Kubrick. It's kind of the way he is. Yeah. That- Yes, very much so. And, and I would imagine that, um, are, are, are you guys getting people reaching out to you? So like, are you getting, uh, collaborators that have worked with Kubrick reaching out to you or do you typically have to reach out to them still at this point? 
In terms of Kubrick collaborators, we are reaching out to them because, I mean, to be fair, Kubrick's collaborators are all quite old now. Um, I mean, the last uh, time anyone collaborated with Kubrick was on Eyes Wide Shut. Um, so they're not the type of people who are looking for any kind of publicity or particularly um, feel like they've got much to say. So as far as Kubrick collaborators who we love to speak to, uh, we generally contact them. Uh, in fact, all, all the time. Uh, they've never come to us. The kind of people who have recently come to us have been people who have got uh, a, a new book that's uh, due out. So I think we've done... We've done five or six, we've spoken to five or six authors of Kubrick books. And I think just only recently, in the last few, in the last uh, three months, we've actually had um, a couple of uh, authors come to us and ask us if we can, uh, if we can speak to them on the show. Jeez, wow. I mean, but the, it, it, it's, it really is a great platform to kind of, uh, you know, get that, get that word out there because I actually found out about, um, uh, Nathan Abrams through uh, Kubrick's universe and Nathan Abrams is you know someone that is you know deep deep into the 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 Kubrick universe mm. with um, what he has a couple books yeah. on Kubrick right yeah yeah Nathan, Nathan. yeah and sorry go on oh no no you can go no we're just gonna uh, point out uh, Nathan's two books his first one I think from 2017, um, Stanley Kubrick, New York Jewish intellectual. And then he brought out another book uh, late last year, uh, which he co-authored with Robert Kolker. And that was um, As Wide Shut, um, the making of Stanley Kubrick's final film. I think that book's called. Yeah. So that's uh, Nathan. And we spoke to him. Um, we've had him on the show for both of those books. Oh, and I wanted to... Yeah, and I wanted oh, to ahead, add Mark. that one of the best things about being in the Appreciation Society and doing the podcast is the networking. So as we go along, we get to know people like Nathan, and then we see a connection between Nathan and someone else or someone else we can put in touch with Nathan. So we facilitate these connections in the Kubrick world, and of course, we benefit from them ourselves. and. Also, when any new book does come out about Kubrick or new uh, symposium or just screenings of Kubrick movie, we pretty much, it always comes by our feeds. So that, that's another nice benefit about being involved. Oh, I know. And, and the thing about it is, do you, do you see, um, because you guys kind of release in, uh, at least the way it looks on Apple podcasts, you release in, uh, seasons. So, um, but really it's, it's all throughout the year, right? There is real, no kind of, uh, set schedule. It's really just as long as you're releasing throughout the year, that's sort of how you approach it. Yes, pretty much. I mean, each, um, as we've just got into our third year, uh, I'm, I'm calling um, this season three. So basically anything that was released in 2018 is season one, uh, 2019 season two, and uh, this year season three. So that's how I broke that down. And as far as scheduling, I just get them. I mean, I do the editing. Um, I do the, uh, uh, that kind of, that kind of, uh, that side of the, the job. 
the job. <laughs> it's not really a job. We do this for fun. Uh, but uh, so I just get them out as quick as I can. It, you know, I mean, they do take quite a lot of time. Does the does the editing? Um, so. Yeah, I, I get them out as quick as I can. We, we've always got uh, material backed up in the archive. Uh, I think I've got 15 interviews waiting to be put together. So I always like to be one step ahead. Um, so, yeah, so the schedule is based on how quickly I can put a show together and get it out there. Yeah. And now, Stephen, you said that this is not your, like, either of your real jobs. Like, you don't actually benefit from this. For, for everybody listening, and myself included, what is your actual day-to-day um, -day jobs between the both of you? Well, I'm, uh, I'm, I do film production, independent film production, and, um, and editing uh, other people's materials. So that's what I kind of do in my day job. And I do, I do okay. computer-based training, compliance training. So it's just in front of the computer all day using software. Wow. And, and the thing that fascinates me, and if you really kind of break it down, and uh, this is the beautiful part about the day and age we live in, is the fact that someone in New Jersey, like, like Mark, and someone literally across the pond mm. uh, in an entirely new uh, country that is miles, thousands, thousands of miles away, are able to connect over something that you mutually have a, a fascination and a love for Like, do you guys think of yourselves as um, anything beyond friends? Like how many times have you actually been in, in like each other's company person to person? I mean, just to, just to clarify, there were four of us in, who run um, the uh, podcast, which is myself, Yes. Uh, like, I act as producer and editor, editor, and then we've got Jason, the host, and then there's Mark and James, who've kind of, the first 12 months, um, they, they weren't that involved, that's fair to say, isn't it, Mark? You weren't that involved for the first 12 months, but over time, you've got more and more, more, and more involved. I think we've kind of opened it up to you too, haven't we, uh, a bit more? Because, yes. uh, you know, there's a lot of work now, especially up doing the research for the guests and things like that. And Mark and James are both brilliant researchers and, uh, and good interviews in their own right. So you'll notice, any regulars who listen to the show will notice that uh, Mark and James are also starting to do some of the interviews as well. Um, and we could still oh. use even more people to contribute. But yeah, the reason I'm not I laughed sure. <laughs> was because... I've never been to England. And Stephen, I remember one time you said that you had never met anyone in the Appreciation Society. I guess yep. that was a couple of years ago. But yeah, Jason actually lives in New Jersey too. So we've gotten together. And uh, James is down in Florida, but we're hoping he'll come up here for a visit. So yeah, we definitely, by working together, have gotten to be friends. And uh, I've made new friends out of this podcast as well. So, yes, and I haven't met anybody. I haven't met the other three guys. With uh, that was the original question, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I haven't met uh, James, Jason, or Mark in person. Wow, <laughs> isn't that crazy to think? Yeah. Shoo! Like, okay, so you've been working together for three years, but. The fact that you haven't, that you actually haven't actually met, but 
really when you listen to the podcast, it is like you were saying, it's mostly um, like if you were to base it off of who you hear, it's mostly Jason, correct? Yes. He's, okay. he's, the, he's the man it, with the voice. <laughs> he's the guy with the voice. And I'm the man without the voice, really. <laughs> that's just fascinating to me because i do my podcast very like like it's it's literally just me doing the the whole thing and and uh i would find it really uh like there has to be sort of a uh a, a trust between everybody like if you're gonna collaborate to this kind of degree that you know nobody's gonna uh what like slack off nobody's going to um take a day off if you all uh, kind of agree that, you know, this is something that we need to work on today and, and uh, like, run me through that, like that schedule. Like, what is that like? Mark? Well, one thing, one thing I'll say is, be, you know, the internet does make so many things possible. So the idea of meetup was for people to meet in person uh, because there's something different about meeting in person than just, corresponding online but on the other hand when you messenger people every day you feel like you do get to know them that way and but of course talking on the phone you really get to know people so that's how we get to know each other and also you do get to know people when you're under pressure and there's a deadline so (laughs) so do you want to know how the how the the show works is that what you were asking how how the schedule of how we get together to do a show is that what you were originally asking correct yeah could because being being uh uh you know overseas being in new jersey being in florida how do you all correspond to make sure that the 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 workflow doesn't get uh jammed right. up so yes okay so basically it's not a live show so everything is done in small incremental parts and built up later um so so we basically work, work work around our own schedules like i say it was originally myself and jason doing all the heavy lifting um on it um but now we've got uh, we've, we've kind of encouraged mark and james in who are absolutely brilliant um yeah we just do things when when they can be done i mean um an interview is the only thing that's kind of the live live event. If we've got someone on the, um, if we've got a scheduled call with uh, with a guest, that's the only time that we will uh, actually have to work to a, a specific time schedule. So you know, if we if we're at work, we've got to take maybe time off work or such like. But everything else, you know, from recording the the, the jingles to uh, recording the intros and the outros uh, and editing. That's all just done in spare time when we can all fit it in and, you know, and researching the guests. So, so there's not really a live element to the show and there is no uh, deadline particularly to get things out. So we just work it around our day jobs and our normal lives. Well, why don't we talk okay. about the uh, rafter man? Like that would be a, Sometimes there's yeah. a deadline, so a guest will say, oh, I can do an interview. And that's our deadline is we got to get questions ready. For Sorry, I meant a, de- a, deadline, a, a deadline as far as getting a show out of the door. But yes, yeah, you go for that. All right. Yeah, the deadline is on the other side. Yes. Then we want to get everything prepared so uh, it will go as well as possible because this is the only time we're going to get to talk and as we all do have day jobs, that's kind of a pressure. 
that adds to the pressure. So uh, as an example, it's a podcast that we haven't gotten to do yet. Uh, through one of our networking contacts, like networking really helps uh, in, in doing this kind of thing. Was able to get us uh, a contact with uh, the guy who played Rafter Man. Why can't I remember his name right now? Uh, Kevin Major Howard in uh, played yes. Rafter Man in Full Metal Jacket. Very distinctive name and and great performance. So he was going to be a. So this guy just asked him if he would do a podcast, and he said, "Sure, let's do it on the weekend, or let's do it on a particular day." And so then we all got to swing into action to be ready. And uh, Jason has to take a day off from work so he can do the interview. So we all did that, but then we didn't get the guest on that day. So it was a big disappointment. So we hope we'll get Kevin at a later date. (laughs) But yeah, there is some, that is the deadline aspect of it and, and the sacrifice aspect. And that's only ha- that's yes. only happened once in probably about forty interviews, actually. About uh, every, I don't think we've had another another example like that. Yeah, that's all I can think of. But I guess it's happens in podcasting, right, Eddie? It happens with you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's been a lot of uh, instances of uh, 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 canceling or 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 you know doing something like that where you have to almost drop what you're doing if you really feel passionate about all right like this could be the only chance I get so um yeah you have to take those opportunities something that that is um uh of interest to me and I'm sure a lot of people listening is uh if you guys don't mind telling us how do you get the guests on like what is the means to getting them on like uh if you're getting someone on that is you know like you were saying a lot of his collaborators are like particularly pretty old and maybe not technologically with it. <laughs> um, how, like, how do you get people on so they feel comfortable doing it? Uh, I'd say 80% of the time I have just uh, sent them an, a nice email explaining uh, who we are and what we are trying to achieve. Um, so yeah, most of them have just been an, an email exchange right up until the actual phone call or Skype call. Um, there has been occasions where I have actually met a few people in person um, and actually they were happy to give me the phone numbers there and then. Um, so so last year there were quite a few Kubrick events in London at the BFI and uh, a few other places. So I kind of did some physical networking there um, and had a few short chats with a few people and managed to uh, get them to agree. So yeah, so I think that's been the two the two inroads to getting guests um, guests on the show mainly mainly emails and which is quite new to me. I prefer to network um, from the comfort of my own home. I'm not a particular a particular people person, but um, <laughs> I'd much prefer to talk on the phone than. Uh, travel and go and meet somebody but then skype and skype is like the technology <laughs> skype is the technology and also yeah. we all we all record our own voices and then we send everything to Stephen, who puts them together 
So that helps the uh, quality of it somewhat. Uh, okay, so yeah, that's so, something we start. We start. Sorry, we started doing that probably about three or four months ago. So the benefits of that uh, new quality is uh, currently being put out there. Exactly. Whereas originally, I was just taking all the scap, uh, all the recordings of everyone's voices via Skype, so obviously get dropouts and things like that. But now we are all recording at source. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so it sounds more like everybody's in the same room at the same time. Yes, yes. Without having a studio. Now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, you know what? Maybe one of these days, maybe there could be a, a Kubrick's Universe studio because, you know, it's you really look at it, it's like uh like like the big podcasters like the people that you kind of think of and and that seriously make a living off of just doing podcasting it's like you know they had to attain that at some like like, like they had to get there at some point um mm. you know it, it's like i can see that happening for something like this i mean you know whether or not it's um and then this just kind of segues into the into the question of like do you see an end game in sight? Like, is there an end game for the podcast or is it just, you can like not see this ending at all? Mark? Oh, <laughs> the heavy question. <laughs> I think it, it can go on forever. I mean, 20 years because there's always, and I can't see myself ever get tired of doing it. One advantage we have with uh, our subject is everybody wants to talk about Stanley Kubrick, including the people who have worked with him because it was one of the greatest experiences of their lives. Uh, but I wanted to, about the business side of podcasting, you reminded me, I'm a big fan of podcasting myself. I listen to dozens of them. And one of my favorites is called Comedy Bang Bang. And they started, I think 10 years ago now, and they started on and they started doing podcasts kind of like the way we were, but eventually they got enough podcasts that were all operating under this one banner, which uh, Scott Ackerman, who is the host of Comedy Bang Bang created called the Airwolf, he made it into a studio and then like a like a consortium and then he was able to afford to build a studio so now there's many podcasts that record in this studio in los angeles so i would think it's theoretically possible stephen that there's a studio in london that hosts a lot of podcasts and yeah possibly we could be folded under some um, other umbrella of podcasts Eddie, do you have any like thoughts on that line for your for your podcast? I mean, you know, like that's really so, why I technical uh, issue. Can you hear me? No, I can. Yes, I yeah. heard some noise before. Can you hear us? One oh, sec. it might be his problems. <laughs> yes, uh -oh. those things. <laughs> Uh-oh, Steven dropped out. Uh, he'll be back. All right. <laughs> um, 
to answer your question, Mark, it's, um, you know, I'm 27. Uh, I have, a I have a real desire to, you know, keep this going and, and, and I'm endlessly fascinated by so many things. Like I feel as though, uh, I could talk about anything for, for, you know, for years. Like it, it, it's just something that I love doing where I get to know different people. I get to hear their success stories. I love hearing a, a great success story or a success story in the making, which is, uh, the case of this one where it's, you know, it is a success. Kubrick's universe is a success, but, uh, I feel like there's just an infinite amount of more success that, that, that can be attained with this podcast. And, uh, I love hearing the, you know, the fact that you guys have never met before, but you would think, you know, based off of how well the show is constructed, that, that there had to have been some kind of, uh, face to face interactions where you, uh, are able to, you know, put all of your eggs in one basket and be like, all right, guys, this is the, the passion project. But the fact that you have never met before makes it even that much more uh, inspiring because it's like, like I said, there's a real trust there. Like there, like there has to be a real trust factor of, you know, everybody's going to deliver and yeah, I know there's no set schedule, but um, just the fact that you guys can all do that and come together and, and, and make this really incredible product is is uh is fascinating to me so um i'd love to just podcast and, and and make that my profession absolutely um so we'll see where it goes i mean uh you know there's so many doors that are that are being opened up in terms of podcasting and i'm sure you're familiar with like just to see that growth of you know people at one time didn't even know what a podcast was like like what the heck is a podcast yes everybody uh, talks about mark Marin. He's the one who started podcasting. Do you, do you, do you ever listen to Mark Marin? Mark Marin, no. He's a com I guess comedian podcasts because these guys are so good at talking already. That's what they do for their job is make jokes, uh, particularly improv comedians. They could just yes, and they're so good at it. So why not? Why not put this and make money at it? Rather than exactly and oh, go ahead. but like you really trace it back it's a, a podcast is essentially a radio show that is not necessarily I mean I'm sure there are podcasts that do it but most podcasts are not live um, so you really can trace it back to okay well before podcasts you had radio shows so you know you could look at you know the biggest one obviously you can go to is is Howard Stern, like he really kind of pushed, I think the medium forward in terms of people appreciating, listening to strictly audio. Oh, true. Yes. Um, and, you know, just to be able to, to turn on a radio station or, or now Sirius XM and, and to hear a voice and not associate a face with it, but just a voice. And, uh, Oh, there we go. Steven, you're back. back. Sorry about that. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> we were just uh, we were just talking about um, uh, we kind of went off on a uh, like a side thing of just how podcasts have have evolved and and uh, you know at one point people didn't even know what a podcast was like you would say the word podcast yeah. and people you know I mean 
every once in a while, I still get that to this day. You know, like I have a podcast. <laughs> What's that? Like, uh, yeah, I get it a lot. As far as uh, when I'm talking to uh, friends and family, uh, people in the real world, um, they very rarely know what a podcast is. But that might be just a reflection on the north of England. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, so if you go way back into the history, there were the golden days of radio where there was all kinds of great programs on the radio. Hmm. And then from my point of view, radio was taken over by TV. Like all the talented people moved to TV and left with a pretty much of a wasteland on radio, unless, except for listening to music. But there was hardly anyone who had good shows, good narrative shows on radio. And hmm. so then podcasting brought all that back. All these talented people are back in the medium and there's just endless listen to at on demand. That's another big thing about it. And, and, exactly. and Mark, tell Eddie what your favorite pastime is whilst listening to podcasts. Oh, washing dishes? Yes. Walking? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you must have a lot of dishes. <laughs> I do. <laughs> and I keep coming back. <laughs> But yeah, anything. Oh, and driving, of course. Yeah, all these yeah. activities that you only had one option before, the radio playing pops, educating yourself and learning new stuff. There's just anything you want to, when you want to. Right. Yeah. It's all kind of come and, together. And, and, and exactly. That's the beauty of it. And the fact that pretty much to my knowledge all podcasts are free like you really don't even have to pay for like a subscription service or you know as long as you have an app like as long as you have apple podcasts google spotify whatever um you have that you know at your fingertips you don't even have to pay for a for a service whereas like you know in the earlier days you probably had to subscribe to you know like we were talking about howard stern you had to subscribe to sirius xm or whatever yeah. you know to, to to get that content but now it's moved in the direction of all of this is at your fingertips it's all laid out for you and and uh do you do either of you think there's an oversaturation of podcasts like like that too many people all of a sudden just have a podcast or i would speaking as a as a, a podcaster myself i would probably say there are too many podcasts out there because <laughs> for every other podcast that's out there and being listened to it's um one less person not listening to us <laughs> <laughs> well, i think somebody said they went into a, a staples and they, there's a whole aisle now devoted to podcasting gear so obviously everybody's getting into mm -hmm. it but to me it's like saying are there too many internet pages no it's just you can choose which ones you want to go to and uh, you can choose your curators for this content. So yes. the good ones rise to the top. Yeah. yeah, and you're dead right, Mark. It's not a case of uh, people who are listening to other shows aren't listening to us because anyone who wants to listen to us will listen to us and anybody who doesn't want to won't. So, so I suppose as far as oversaturation and um, the amount of podcasts out there, I don't think they, they probably don't affect each other, do they? Because particularly the niche, the niche shows like ours. I think yeah, uh, people seek it yeah, out. Exactly, yes. Mm. People seek it out. And, they, uh, yeah. They used to say, well, I've heard that 
on Amazon, if you're a self-published author, you can make a lot of money if you focus on a really niche topic. Niches can be monetized because people interested in that niche will seek it out. Yeah. Well, we, we, we'd hope to be uh, making a, a few pounds at some point, wouldn't we, with all the efforts we've put in there? But obviously, that's <laughs> just going to happen when it happens, I think. Um, it's not something we can particularly push. Uh, so we'll just have to see how things go. Yeah, that brings up a good point. Is, um, and you can speak on this because um, I've talked about this on the podcast prior, but just to uh, kind of give you guys a history of, of my evolution really quickly, because this kind of falls into what we were just talking about. Um, the podcast now is not what the podcast was previously. So now it's this open forum where I can talk to anybody and it can, you know, range from philosophers to people like yourself who are, you know, uh, really focused on a filmmaker to, uh, mentors to, you know, anybody can come on the show and that's what I love about it. But when I first started my podcast, it was devoted to, um, a similar filmmaker, um, James Cameron. James Cameron is my like number one guy. And then like right behind Cameron is Stanley Kubrick. Um, and I had a podcast dedicated to um, his uh, Terminator yes. films and I called it Terminator 101. He did 50 shows, I believe. I listened to, uh, I think I've listened to the first two and the last two. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much. And, and uh, but I did that because I knew I needed to stand out and if I was just going to create a podcast about movies then there was too much of an oversaturation like we were talking about with there's so many movie podcasts why would anyone tune into mine when there's one that's been going for 10 years and you know they're established um so I did my research and I was like is there a Terminator podcast because I love Terminator I like I love everything about those films and I really couldn't find a Terminator dedicated podcast. So I created it and it kind of blew up to a point where I had, like, I did not see that coming. And um, I talked to Michael Bean. I talked to uh, William Wisher who co-wrote Terminator 2. Like everything about that uh, spawned uh, some of like my biggest and, and, and wildest dreams, uh, you know, talking to these people. But I did that because I knew I needed to get in to a certain audience. And then once you win that audience over, so if there is an end in sight or at any point for Kubrick's universe, um, you could still go on and do other podcasts and people would tune in because they, you know, they're really tuning in for, from what I've discovered, they're tuning in for the people that make the show as much as they are tuning in for the content. So if the content suddenly shifts from Kubrick to, you talking about, uh, I, I don't know, anything, people will still tune in. And I firmly believe that, that you win them over with your personality. And, uh, you know, even though it's Jason doing a lot of the talking, it's, it's a team effort. It, you know, it takes Steven, it takes Mark, um, and it takes uh, James, is, is his yes. name, correct? It takes you guys doing this to bring the show uh, together, you know, Jason couldn't do it by himself, even though he is the voice of Kubrick's universe, essentially. Yeah. Um, so I uh, uh, kind of went off on a side thing there, but that, you know, just to bring it back, that's really what it's all about is it's you guys could continue on past Kubrick's universe if that ever happens. And I think you would carry your audience over with you hmm. as uh, 
as I did from Terminator 101 to Eddie Green yeah. 101. And uh, it's, a, it, it's a little scary at first, uh, if that ever happens. It's like, will people still care what I have to say when I'm not talking about what they've uh, tuned into you know, for all these years? Um, but I, I think you find that people do, and it's all about the personality. But uh, it's, uh, it's, it, it, it's a scary thing. It's a scary thing doing that transition. <laughs> but um, Yeah, I don't, I don't personally... Oh, Go on, Mark. As a listener, once I get to know someone, then I want to kind of listen to everything that they've done. So I, I agree. Once you get people who like what you do, so they like what you did with the Terminator, they're going to like the way you approach your next subject. So it's a big, hmm. they will come with you. But exactly. Stephen, uh, have you? Thank you. Have you <laughs> so have you retained the, uh, similar numbers when uh, before and after the transition, Edda? Uh Yeah, I, uh, I I I did notice that there was a, you know there always will be a a slight drop where okay, Eddie's not talking about Terminator. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, Jason, Stephen, Mark, and James aren't talking about Kubrick. All right, now I don't want to listen because I was, but you'll notice, like I noticed there, there was a slight drop, but then uh, the second I started pumping out more content of just guest upon guest upon guest, that's when I started noticing, okay, people are tuning back in and uh, uh, the, like the real diehard uh, followers uh, kind of shared that around, you know, like, you know, if you liked what he did prior, like prior to this, you're going to like this now because it's the same amount of passion. And that, you know, would apply to, to you guys as well. Um, something that I do want to ask both of you is why Kubrick out of all the filmmakers that you could have highlighted, why was it Kubrick that you, uh, that, that, that you kind of fell into? Well, um, as far as falling into Kubrick, you know, years before, uh, the podcast and the, uh, the Facebook group, I just fell into Kubrick because, uh, his films, affected me so much uh, i think there's a general um, a general uh, similar feeling with people who like kubrick films they kind of seen two or three films that they loved and then they joined the dots and realized they were made by the same filmmaker i mean with, with me it was definitely a clockwork orange seeing that i was aware of the film before the for the filmmaker and then uh bumped into these other a few other films and then kind of joined the dots uh, realised Kubrick was someone I really enjoyed the films of and then kind of went back and found everything else he'd made. So I think that's how, that basically how I, how I fell into Kubrick because I just uh, love his films and that just seemed a, a normal progression into doing the, uh, the Facebook group uh, just to see if anyone else out there is interested in Kubrick and it seemed they were. And then, uh, yeah, and then that was just a, gen, um, a, a pretty much a standard um, drift into the podcast. Did I answer? But did you feel as though? Yeah. But did you feel as though there wasn't uh, enough um, uh, kind of scholarly appreciation and 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 education on Kubrick? Was that a reason as well? Uh, no, no, not not particular. Uh, I didn't think that far ahead. Uh, when I, when I set up the Facebook group, that was kind of just a, an experiment 
to see how that went. Um, but now, I mean, when you mentioned uh, earlier, a few minutes ago, that you know we might move on to a different topic, I, I can't see that happening. To be honest, um, I mean, we've got I've got a database of three hundred guests. <laughs> that, 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 are, that are still alive and kicking and would have something to bring to the show. Uh, you know, I think that list, I don't think I'm going to ever get to the end of that list, you know, potential guests. So, um, and, and there isn't really anything, any other subjects that I feel are as interesting and engaging to me personally. Um, and it's a nice little niche as well, you know. I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan of Scorsese, isn't everybody? Uh, but I like I like I like Kubrick's universe because it's a nice rounded off world. Thirteen films done and dusted, and uh, yeah, and plenty of offshoots of things that can be connected there. And I would say, so Eddie, you like I mean you like talking to people, and podcasts are an activity where you get to talk to people. So you like the activity, you would, you enjoy the basic activity underneath. So you're natural. Whereas we start as Kubrick fans and out of just loving Kubrick so much, we think, well, what can we do with this love? And podcasts is, is something we can do now. It could be something else as well, but podcasting is here. This is how we can spend all our time uh, in Kubrick land, in Kubrick universe. That's where we want to be. So yeah, I don't, I don't think, I too think that the universe is, is so capacious, we'd never get tired of it. So that, uh, that, that list that you have of the 300 guests, that'll outlive you as <laughs> <For> well. <sure. laughs> yes. And it's, but that's also, we are kind of the last generation of contemporaries of Kubrick and Stephen has that list prioritized by the people who are the oldest, so we get them before they're gone. But we have a unique opportunity, living when we do now, to talk to people who work with Kubrick, and that opportunity is going to go away. And then you then you've only got the second generation to talk to. Yeah, there is a very much so. That is a great point. Is that you are preserving. Um, this is a this is a audio version of a of a preservation in terms of uh, keeping that, you know, getting that last bit of of Kubrick before it's entirely gone. Because, yeah, like you said, I mean, um, you know, his last film, 1999. So uh, I'm sure both of, you know, like is like who's the youngest person that you could talk to from that film? The youngest. Oh, That'll be probably Lily yeah, like, Sobieski, um, <laughs> who played the uh, the young girl, the, the daughter, the daughter at the uh, costume shop. I guess she's oh, oh, yes. maybe maybe um, um, Bill and Alice's daughter. I mean, she was probably only about six years old. The actress <laughs> who played that. So yeah, that, to answer that question, that, that'd probably be the uh, the youngest uh, person who uh, collaborated with Kubrick. Yeah. But imagine if, the, yeah, so if they had podcasting back in Shakespeare's day, how much we, more we would know about the guy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. So that's what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing is, is, uh, oh, 
I'm reading this great book um, and I'm actually trying to get the author on. Well, I mean, I'm not trying. He is, uh, he will be coming on. It's um, a thousand and one ideas that change the way we think. It's a, it's a, it's like a, it's a philosophy book. And um, I've, I've heard uh, of that. Who's the author? Uh, his name's Robert Arp. Uh, he's a, a, he is a philosopher. He is a, he has a PhD in philosophy and, um, it's part of the series, the thousand and one. So usually it's like a thousand and one movies you must see before you die. Um, this is like a, like a, like a part of that series. So it's called a thousand and one ideas. Um, and going through that book, it, like it really traces back everything, you know, to, you know, the earliest recorded, uh, times of, of man. And, uh, it just kind of opens your eyes. So when you said that of like, you know, like imagine if we had this stuff, around you know shakespeare's time it it, it, it just really blows your mind because it, it's 100 percent true we would know so much more because we have to really you know take for granted what these people wrote down and uh if if you could hear it and 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 just to hear it like can you imagine hearing shakespeare's voice like what did he sound like like <laughs> it just i love thinking about that kind of stuff yeah us too mm. yeah absolutely Ah, um, something that I did definitely want to make sure we touched on here because I don't know if, if this will be covered at any point on, uh, on Kubrick's universe is, uh, what did you guys think of, um, Dr. Sleep? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Go on, Mark, tell tell him what happened at about one minute before uh, we joined this call. So we, we had to (laughs) shut down a thread on the, the Scots page because people were getting into a fight and they're always getting into fights over King and Kubrick. And anytime something comes out, well, particularly a sequel. Well, I think actually Dr. Sleep was pretty unique in terms of sequel and that so many people love the shining. And then because they love it, they're very protective about its legacy. So I personally haven't seen Dr. Sleep yet. Uh, but there are people who get very mad about it. They get, get, they get it infuriates them. Stephen? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I, I went, I've seen the film uh, at the cinema and I've also seen it at home. And I fell asleep both times, which... Um, <laughs> But I mean, uh, I, I don't really like reviewing other people's work, to be honest. So uh, it was not a favourite film of mine. Um, I do understand that uh, some people do like it. Uh, it's it, it's just not for me. It's just like a, a modern horror, and I'm not a big fan of modern day horrors. That's just probably because I'm a 49 year old fellow who uh, still likes American Wealth in London. So, <laughs> so, 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 I wouldn't want to judge it on those merits. I think. Well, the reason I ask is um, uh, obviously because you know uh, the film's climactic moments try really, really hard to uh, emulate um, you know what Kubrick had presented to us. I mean, it's sprinkled throughout the film, but you really could pinpoint it as the final, like you know, fifteen or so minutes of that particular film really try to bring the Kubrickian kind of, uh, feel to the film. And, um, I know you don't like reviewing stuff, so I won't necessarily ask you Steven, but, um, 
I, I personally, as a, as a Kubrick lover, I really feel as though that that was a, uh, as focused and as on point as it could be love letter to it. Um, obviously you're not going to get the actual essence of Kubrick because he's, he's no longer here, but, um, in terms of like a tribute, I feel as though, uh, I actually preferred that over ready player one, Mm. um, over the ready player one tribute. Uh, I feel as though Mike Flanagan and, 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 and company really, really hit it out of the park with really recreating, um, you know, the moments from the shining and, uh, yeah, I just wanted to see what you guys felt about it. Yes, on a technical level, I haven't really seen the, the ending properly because I was in a, a daze of sleep both times. And, <laughs> and I'm not saying this to put the film down at all. That's that's more that I'm a, a, a parent and as soon as I get a chance to sit down in front of a movie, I can just uh, kind of fall asleep quite easily these days. Um, <laughs> but I think on a technical level... It was fantastic, but the story didn't engage me in the slightest. Um, I didn't really get get this thing about um, getting the uh, the little bottles with you know with the the, the gas coming out. Uh, it just all went over my head that did all that kind of thing. It just uh, yeah, I'm not a fan of the film, but I would like to sit down and watch it again uh, from start to finish. And, and I would like at some point to have some kind of um, opinion on the film, which I haven't really got at the moment. <laughs> Eddie, you make me want to see it with your description of the ending. And as someone who saw The Shining when it came out, that also got very bad reviews. And it took took years for people to come to appreciate it for what it is. So I hope to judge Dr. Sleep on its own merits. And you know, sometimes it's just <laughs> the mood you're in on the night you watch the film. Very true. Very true. And I, I, you know, I, I haven't read the novel, um, the, uh, the, uh, the shining novel. I have only ever seen, uh, Kubrick's version. And, uh, but from my understanding, this film really had to juggle, uh, both of those responsibilities. They had to juggle the novel and they had to juggle the, like the Kubrick film because, <laughs> you know, me. there is a loyal fan base between the both of them. Yes, I um, believe so. Yeah. And that was also, and uh, sorry, one of the critiques of China, the Shining the movie is the novel was a bestseller and there was fanatical fans of Kings. I shouldn't call them fanatical. They were, they were King fans and they were very protective of the novel and they didn't like what Kubrick did to it. So it's sort of the same thing. Mm. Yeah, very, yeah, it's you know, so uh, you know, like I said, coming from someone that that never read that novel, and I was going into this film thinking, okay, I need to see us uh, a, a a real sequel here to Kubrick's version. I think it delivered. Um, uh, and I assume both of you have seen the Ready Player One uh, tribute thing. Yes, yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. I think that's a, a, a yes. great sequence. Again, technically brilliant. Um, yeah, I mean, and as far as and and on, sorry, I was just gonna say, and maybe even more so, like it's more, um, uh, it's more accepted in terms of the like the Kubrick fan base because it is coming to us from Spielberg, um, who uh, was definitely much closer to Kubrick than the than like Mike Flanagan ever was, mm. uh, if he ever was. Um, I'm sure he wasn't, but, uh, 
you know, the fact that Spielberg was involved with, with this particular scene, um, you know, he probably had a real keen eye of, of, you know, trying to respect Kubrick and, and make sure that he did his absolute best. I thought it was a great scene. Um, uh, but it's obviously played for more of a, uh, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it's taking place in this video game, virtual reality thing. It's really not necessarily, uh, trying to do anything other than just recreate the stuff versus Dr. Sleep, which is really trying to make sure that this is a true continuation of, uh, of the actual story. So I think that's the real difference between the two. Hmm. Um, but you guys both really like the Ready Player One. Yeah. Well, I, I, took, I, took, I took the children to see it. I mean, it's kind of... Uh, uh, what, what certificate is it? It's, it's a children's film, isn't it, right? Um, so... Um, so I just saw it, yeah, as a, as a an interesting piece of inter- entertainment for dads to be taking his little kids to, and uh, and I would I only really went to see it because well I only went to see it because the kids wanted to see it, and because of the shining sequence, um, so yeah, that, that's my take on it. And I was predisposed to like it because it was done by Spielberg, a great friend of Stanley Kubrick, as a tribute to him. So yeah, naturally, yes. what's yep. not to like? Yeah, I thought it was a great film. And and speaking of that, what is between the two of you? What's your personal favorite uh, of Kubrick's thirteen films? I had to go with just so I uh, have this in my in my uh, The Shining. Mind. The Shining because of when I saw it in my life, I was just out of college, and it just hit me so hard. So it's always going to be The Shining for me. Okay. And for me, it is uh, Clockwork Orange. That was the first film I saw, and uh, that was kind of a fairly, uh, not a life-changing experience, but um, a film watching, um, a, a big moment in my film watching. I was, how old were I? I would have been about uh, 16, maybe, when I first saw that, uh, back in the mid-80s. Uh, and yeah, uh, so that had such an impact on me. That is always the film that uh, I love. But I, I do like them all. Every time I put one on, another thing that Kubrick, Kubrick fans say, their favourite film is the one they sat there watching. <laughs> <laughs> and it really is the case. Yeah, it really is the case. You know, you can put any of them on and sit and watch them and think, this is fantastic. It, it's hard to do. It's hard to pick a best. I agree but, with but that too. Are, yeah, but, uh, but I think every Kubrick fan has got that first film that gripped them and and put them into um, the world of Kubrick. Agree. Yeah, very, very true. And uh, you know, it, hearing you say that it's The Shining, or hearing you say that it's uh, a, a Clockwork Orange, um, is there any like? Obviously, so between the two of you, like the like the holy grails to get on the podcast would be Nicholson and Malcolm McDowell. <laughs> yeah, but but that is, I would imagine, that's incredibly tricky to pull off. N- certainly, Nicholson. Uh, he's he's not even on my list of three hundred people. <laughs> you know, it's a it's a very realistic list. Uh, okay, uh, but yeah. We, there are a few uh, stars of his movies who are uh, Malcolm in particular. There's a good chance uh, we might be able to speak to Malcolm. Uh, and also Matthew Medine, drummer, obviously, star okay. of Full Metal Jacket. We're hoping uh, to speak to him at some point. So, uh, yeah. 
there are there are yeah. limi- limitations. Uh, Tom Cruise, I don't think we'll ever get Tom Cruise because he doesn't. It <laughs> doesn't, doesn't even talk about the film, does it? Even on the twentieth anniversary of the film last year, I don't think uh, we heard a peep out of him. <laughs> so I don't think uh, I think it, that's true. I think he's moved on. Wow, that is really true. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I didn't. I don't remember hearing anything like really. I mean, not even from Cruise. Like, besides, you know, people like yourselves, but like really in general, like there was no, um, like home media release or anything. Like there might have been like some theater screening. Yes, in the in the um, UK there was a bit of a a bit of a small re-release theatrically, very small. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, over here in America, I mean, I think uh, Mark can uh, attest to it. I didn't see anything. Um, yeah, I'm kind of, which is really unfortunate. I mean, I'm grateful that he had such success over in England, but I am kind of jealous that actually it's more, <laughs> there's more stuff that goes on in England than over here when it comes to, yeah, well, him. that's, well, that is because he, uh, uh, like definitely out of the two, he definitely pref- like he preferred, uh, the UK, uh, and um uh, it yeah it, it it really does suck when you have you know someone that you really appreciate and 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 would love to see their their work kind of uh explored a little more whether it be uh like a museum or or uh, a re-release um you know the best it seems we get is like a book <laughs> yeah. that'll come out and uh and, and and really celebrate him um or or the podcast um but something really official, like in terms of like the, because I'm pr- like the the museum is really still based in the UK, correct? It's or is it on tour? Yeah, it's a tour. It's a touring exhibit actually. It's uh, it, it hasn't okay. settled down. I think it's done. It's probably done twelve countries. It's it's certainly done. Uh, it did uh, uh, LACMA in Los Angeles um, four or five years ago, maybe five or six years ago. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's a travelling thing. It hasn't settled down yet, but I think it will settle down at some point. And we have and a piece that... of it for six months in uh, in Long Island City in Queens, uh, the two thousand and one. Yep, until July, the exhibition of uh, the Many Worlds of two thousand and one is at the Museum of the Moving Image. Definitely a must see, and of course, as I was complaining about uh, England, he had a choice of making movies in California, New York, or in England, and he said in California, there's too much gossip. You're always being interfered with, and New York was very expensive. And only in England could he get such incredible craftsmen and to be able to afford to do everything he wanted to do and take his time doing it. And that's really what made it possible for him to create these incredible gems. So rightfully, rightfully so. Very, very true. And here is a, this is something I always ponder, you know, as someone that's pondering constantly. And if, if, if Kubrick ever comes across my radar, I'm always wondering, not necessarily what kind of films he would have continued to make had he lived past 99, but how many films would he have made in living past 1999? So we're, uh, uh, 21 years after his death um what are what is your estimation of do you think we'd have one two 
three Kubrick films added to the added to the resume? I think we might possibly have one. If if it lifted, if it lifted, it was eight. Uh, let's say, which is a, a fairly uh, reasonable ta- uh, time to live till. Uh, I think it got at least one more out. He was all ready to start on AI. I think that's the one we would have gotten, and that would be it. And that would be it still to this day in 2020. Yes. Well, if, unless he lived, unless he lived till he was 100, <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> and, and then he, he might get one out every every five or ten years. But uh, obviously, he did, as as we, as we all know, he did slow down his his output. Yeah, the last. So, yeah, that's that's that that's one of the most fascinating elements of him is that you know you look at someone today and it's really hard to find someone like him in terms of how how much time he would put in between his projects where uh someone today probably feels like they can't even do that um like you have to consistently remain relevant uh and 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 pumping out content if you want to remain relevant that's the whole key it's if if you're not pumping stuff out it's how do you remain relevant and and in kubrick's case it didn't even seem like that phased him Uh, like he was just like i'm gonna take 12 years between uh uh full metal and uh eyes wide shut 12 years is a incredible amount of time to to be gone yes (laughs) yeah I mean that. I mean that is part of it. The fact that uh, filmmakers do like to remain relevant and keep putting things in front of an audience. But there is also another element to that, which is uh, the people who are putting the money into the film want a quick turnaround. Um, so, for example, Doctor Sleep, Mark Flanagan wants the money men giving that money. They want to see uh, returns within twelve months or whatever. Um, now that wasn't the case with Kubrick because he he kind of demanded the terms with the money men and. Fortunately enough, the money men saw him as an artist and let him uh, go at his own pace. And because he did so much of the work himself, it did take a lot of time. Yeah. You know, he didn't have many people. He had a lot of people on set. But as far as making a film, that's a small part of it, is the actual shoot. There's so much goes on before and so much goes on after a a film's production. So all that work that went on before and after was pretty much him on his own, apart from the, the, the screenwriters that he worked with. But let's not forget he yeah. set the Guinness Book of World Records for a continuous shoot, which was Eyes Wide Shut. I think it's 412 days. Mm. You're never going to have that Ooh. happen again. No. And that's locking up Very true. Tom and Nicole for all that time. Yeah. Whew. Yeah, that's uh, it's crazy. I mean, the uh, the guy is just he is he's all right. I I say he's the greatest filmmaker of all time. He's he's my second favorite filmmaker of all time. But I do recognize that I believe uh, Kubrick is the top. And and really, there's I mean, there's there's so many greats. It's hard to pick one, but. I think it's a safe bet if you put your money on Kubrick, um, uh, and 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 just the fact that he never repeated himself mm. is a uh, is a real testament to him. The fact that uh, he he dabbled in every genre essentially, um, 
really uh, adds to that greatness. The fact that uh, he didn't play it safe like a lot of people uh, do. You know, uh, being a 27-year-old, I, I consistently tell myself that I am living like I, like I was born in the wrong time. Um, I, uh, I needed to be born earlier because, you know, you just look around and you see what's coming out in terms of entertainment and, and what's coming out in terms of uh, content. And uh, a lot of it is just like, I don't, I don't want to say I'm ashamed to be living, but like, <laughs> it just seems like it's, it, it, it just seems like there's not as much true love poured into stuff as uh as there was previously and i don't know why that is i don't know if you guys have anything you want to add to that but I, it, it's just something that always comes to my head where i'm just like man i really was born in the wrong time i really do, was. You, do you come to that conclusion based on actually watching and listening the, the products that was that were made in the 60s and 70s which i, I assume that's the era you're talking about are you, are you how do you come to that conclusion um, I mean, if we're going to base it off of, uh, you know, we'll pinpoint Kubrick films. I mean, it, it's just, I, I look around and I'm just, I, like, I know, like, I, I appreciate the ability that we're able to do what we're doing right now. I think this is awesome. Um, the fact that we're not in the same space, but it sounds like we're in the same space. Um, you know, there's definitely elements that I would probably miss if I were to go back in time and, and uh and be aware of that but of course you wouldn't be aware of that so uh i just i i just always hear these stories of everything was simpler and 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 of course there you know was turmoil uh there's always turmoil but it just seems like specifically film if we're like if we're going to zero in on film it just seems like there was more of a of a of a real love for it like you hear about people lining up at movie theaters mm. you, you, you don't get that these days you know it's it's you're lucky if a theater is even packed anymore it's uh it's just stuff like that that i really kind of wish would still be prevalent to this day but it just isn't and uh being a 27 year old that's that's constantly what comes to my mind but wow this is why, this, like, this is why I love the stuff that uh, that that like you guys represent. You know, uh, really highlighting and not straying from it. The fact that you don't stray from it is 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 really admirable. So, kind of going back to the Doctor Sleep thing, I'm kind of assuming that that will never be covered, and that's awesome. Like, that's like 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 if that's the case, and you don't ever want to talk about Doctor Sleep. That's probably for the best because well, it's not. Off, it's, it's probably it's definitely not off my rate. Sorry to interrupt you there, but if I don't interrupt you now, I'll forget what you said and I'll forget to, to come back <laughs> on this one. <laughs> so uh, no, uh, we we have uh, talked about doing a Doctor Sleep episode. It is in Kubrick's universe. There's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, we won't, I think everything that comes within Kubrick's universe is worth a discussion. And if we could get Mike so, Flanagan, yeah. sure, it'd be fascinating. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll definitely we'll, we'll talk about anything. Mm. So okay. So it's not. Uh, it's not if it's not directly from Kubrick. It's not off the table. No. Oh no. No. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I mean okay. we've. Uh, I mean, I suppose some of the authors we've spoken to. Uh, they're not directly from Kubrick, but they they, they are an interesting um, conversation. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's another 
thing that marks our podcast is they are uh, discursive. They mm. Kubrick is the jumping off point, but that's what he's supposed to be. Then you can cover then with him as the jumping off point. You can go a lot of different places. It doesn't. You can have wide ranging discussions. Yeah. Just as long as just as long as it always circles back to Kubrick. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we don't stray too far away from uh, Kubrick uh, during any one show. I'm just uh, swapping my AirPods around here because uh, we've got some battery issues. Um, oh. But uh, yeah, we we don't stray we don't stray too far at all away from Kubrick. It's always in the conversation, um, but it doesn't have to be a, it doesn't have to be about basically it doesn't have to be about a Kubrick movie. It can be about a movie that's connected with Kubrick. Well, like gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Uh, like that Barry Lyndon short. Yeah, Kubrick back and the light. Yeah. 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 We did a full episode on that, didn't we, with uh, David O'Reilly, the director. So that's like a, a short romantic comedy set around the making of Barry Lyndon. Oh, okay. And okay. It's full of references um, of tributes to Stanley. Is it uh, hearing you say that? Because I'm not familiar with it. Um, I, it sounds similar to this movie, and I don't know if either of you have seen it. Um, it has uh, John Malkovich in it. Color me Kubrick. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. Okay. That's a good subject. I'm. I'm not very familiar with it, but isn't that about like that's not directly about Kubrick himself, right? It's sort of like a parody. Well, it's 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 um, kind of a fictionalized version of a true event that happened in Kubrick's life, um, which was a, a chap, an English fellow called Alan Conway, who in the mid nineties, mid nineties. Am I still on air? Yeah, you sound better, actually. Yep. <laughs> you know what? I, think, I think my I've been I've been on on the phone all day. I think my AirPods have uh, disappeared, so. I think I'm speaking directly into the phone now. Ah. Uh, so, yeah, so it's a true story about uh, a chap called Alan Conway who was posing uh, around uh, South the, uh, South England uh, and telling people he was Stanley Kubrick um, and causing all sorts of uh, problems uh, with people. Uh, it, wasn't and, a, it was directed and written by two people close to Kubrick? Yeah, yes, it was. It was written written by Tony Fruin, who was uh, Kubrick's um, assistant, and it was directed by Brian Cook, who was the production manager on four or five of Kubrick's films. So it was. So the the main men behind the project were um, close to to Kubrick, but it didn't do, it didn't do very well. Didn't the film? Um, it kind of went under the radar. But I'd love to talk to those yeah. two about it. And- yeah, no, they would relate it to working yeah. for Stanley. Yeah, yeah, they're they're they're. It really does seem like there's an endless amount of uh, potential material and 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 new stuff always coming out. And um, I guess I I personally wonder where does it like you know where is that point where you say everything about Kubrick? I mean, he lived from one particular time to 
uh, uh, another particular time and he did what he did in between there and that's it. And uh, when is all of that going to be 100% covered? Do you like, do, like, do you see a, a time in the future when it's like, all right, literally everything has been covered about Kubrick and yeah. now we're just kind of recycling. Well, I think that, uh, I mean, Kubrick fans, I, I'm speaking, I'll speak for myself, I do think that Kubrick was uh, an artist and we are still speaking about many other artists um, who have been long gone. And I think uh, we'll continue to speak about Kubrick like we, like we speak about, um, you know, people like Shakespeare. I think as far as the film, you know, uh, excuse me, Aaron. <clears throat> Are you going to be edit- editing some of this out, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> some of my problems with it, with the uh, headphones and things. Uh, I mean, I, I I usually try to keep them unedited, just uh, a, a, as real and oh raw as possible. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, uh, uh, what was the question? It, I got a, it, it. I do have a strong opinion on this, which is uh, I went to his an exhibit of his photography, which he did as a young, very young man in New York. And someone said there, oh, Kubrick's having a moment. So uh, it could be that he's having a moment in popular culture right now that's going to pass. But I think as a member of a book club, uh, I went to another book fan's house and I looked and I saw she had a whole bookcase full of Jane Austen of studies of Jane Austen, a whole bookcase. And I thought, wow. But then I looked and she had a whole wall of books on Shakespeare. And i that's what I think is going to happen for Kubrick. There will be a whole wall of books on Kubrick and there'll be a Kubrick professor of such and such, a Kubrick chair, because the nature of its movies is kind of inexhaustible for its for people to study. So we're just kind of getting started, is my opinion. Yeah, and, and filmmakers haven't really moved into the pantheon of the, you know, the old um, uh, painters and writers, because, you know, from three or 400 years ago, um, filmmaking is still relatively new in the, um, in the overall realm of art. You know, it's still a new art, and some of, the, some of this art takes hundreds of years to be, uh, still appreciated, so we're probably a bit early to judge that. But I, I firmly believe that if filmmaking is still a thing in in hundreds of years, that uh, Kubrick will certainly be still one of the uh, filmmakers that are talked about. Yeah, people are still people. Mm. Very true, very true. And there's that great book that you covered in uh, one of your uh, your most recent episode, as of this recording, uh, after Kubrick. Um, oh yeah, that was that was thrilling. Yeah, and uh, you know that's a great example of you know something that you know like the title says it all right there after Kubrick, but it still is tied to Kubrick. And um, I haven't personally read the book yet, but. Um, I imagine that it's consistently referring back to Kubrick, correct? Yes. Yeah. Well, it's talking about his legacy and in particular filmmakers working now and escape his influence and are building off it. So I had a professor who once said everything in English literature can be seen as footnotes to Shakespeare. So that's 
sort of the approach of this book is you can't help but be influenced by Kubrick if you if you're a movie maker. It's just impossible. But another thing I heard in college was uh, the next generation always rejects the heroes of their parents. They want to find new heroes. But then the generation after that goes back to the first group of heroes. So it could be that <laughs> Kubrick's stock will rise and fall. Interesting, interesting. That's a that's a good point. I like that one where it's but but then but then of course you have to trace back who who inspired Kubrick. And then you have to trace back who inspired that person that inspired Kubrick. True, true. Um you know, I mean it's 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 this real kind of string effect of 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 influences, but I mean I think it's safe to say that you know, the people that inspired Kubrick might not have necessarily made the same amount of impact that Kubrick did. So that's really why he's uh, potentially getting more of the, you know, the, the books, so to speak, um, versus the people that inspired Kubrick. Um, I actually don't like, can you name a name that, 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 that would have been a real inspiration for Kubrick to do his filmmaking? Oh, like Ar Arthur C. Clarke. All his collaborators were his inspirers. But, and I also, I like your point. If it was just Kubrick and that was it, I would, you would run out of things. But, and use Kubrick as like a focal point, as you would any other great artist, to then to expand out to see, yes, who did, who does, who did Kubrick build on? Because, yeah, he did. He's a product of his own artistic experiences. Yeah, it was he it was heavily influenced on uh, filmmakers before his time, uh, particularly um, a, a French director called Max Orfels. Um, uh, Kubrick's meant several times in in interviews. So it, yeah, it was certainly um, he was inspired and uh, pushed forward uh, with the art of filmmaking by watching films in the fifties, sixties, etc. And photographers, yes, uh, Ouija yeah. and Diane Arbus, yeah, and thinkers. He, I mean, he, he was a voracious reader. So you can read the books that he read, and then see how he translated them into his movies. Yes, that's another valuable tool where you can, um, as long as the book is still around, or you can find a. A copy of it if it is out of print that is something that uh that people if they're really really fascinated by anybody it doesn't even have to be kubrick you can you can go back and and find out who you know who who ins uh inspired and influenced uh spielberg if we're gonna talk about spielberg you know you can you can probably definitely pinpoint kubrick as a as a big influence on spielberg um but uh it, it it it's just endlessly fascinating stuff, and uh, I uh, I really do appreciate that you guys took the time out to come on here and uh, dabble in Kubrick, uh, but then of course dabble in in other areas as well, and uh, be open to that. I just think what you guys are doing is great, and I love that we uh, kind of said that this is a uh, audio form of preservation, and um, 
this is something that needs to happen. And hopefully podcasts and, and all the work you guys put in, hopefully that never, you know, goes away. Whoever controls that, whatever the, the RSS feed or whatever it's called. Um, uh, hopefully people hundreds of years from now can even listen back to stuff like this and, and, and find value in it. And, and uh, particularly Kubrick's universe, uh, the podcast, because it's, uh, it's, it's one of my favorites. I love when I find out that a new episode's out because it just gears me up to jump back into it. And uh, you guys are awesome. So thank you so much for coming on. I really, really do appreciate thank it. You. Thanks, Eddie. Thank you so much for being such a great listener and giving us this wonderful forum. Yes. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely.